and welcome to Random Ramblings, the official leadership arts podcast where we bring you a random dose of inspiration to help you thrive personally and professionally in your life. My name is Sam Smeltzer and I'm the founder of Leadership Arts Associates and incredibly honored to be your host for this episode and most episodes of this podcast. And uh, this week is week two in a man in a mini series that I kicked off last week, really kind of focusing on this concept of work love and a work love movement that um, has been coming together for the last year. It launched in November in a digital retreat format, and now I'm bringing it to life. Um, the way that I've always felt it was meant to be in an intimate group setting, no more than 10 people here at the office happening at the end of the month on March 30th. Um, but as part of that, there's some things that I wanted to put out there because when I was able to facilitate the digital retreat, I was able to basically see all these concepts and all this work and the design come to life. And anyone who is a corporate trainer or does any kind of facilitation or presentation for a living knows that you can make guesses, you can envision things, you can put them all on paper, you can plan until your face turns blue, but it it, it turns into something completely different as soon as it comes alive when you bring people into that space and you see how people are processing and digesting what you're putting out there. And it is because of that experience, that digital experience that happened to be an intimate one, because we had a very small group that enrolled. Um, and I think that was an incredible blessing that I was able to see the intimateness. Is that even a word? But <laughs> the need for intimacy. There you go. There's the word. The need to have intimacy in this program and have it in this space. And that's really what makes it come alive. And then the other thing that I noticed was I really got a clear understanding of my motivation to create the program. And that is going back through my career path and figuring out how I got to where I was today. And, um, really exploring this thing that I call almost like disengagement cycles. So the moments that cause us to disengage usually end a similar cycle. And those of us who really truly are, you know, wanting or needing or probably work love, the work love concept will resonate most with are those of us who find ourselves in these repetitive cycles that end in disengagement. And as an HR professional and as an OD professional overall, which is organizational development for those that don't know, it fascinates me because so much of our industry is focused on engagement and you know, measuring engagement. Uh, and then we can define that the organization or the team is disengaged. Uh, and then there becomes this obsession with how to make them engaged. Whereas I think something that's been missing is going back and really, truly, fully understanding what caused the disengagement. And in some cases, we have done that from an organizational standpoint, but we haven't done it from the place where we look at the people. We look at the individual experiences. Every one of us internalizes every experience differently. And that's something that we've really embraced as a workplace has the workforce has morphed is that this strong need for diversity and inclusion because we know that it generates innovation um, 
It, it helps us be more competitive in the workplace. It increases the bottom line. We've embraced this idea of having a diverse workforce and not wanting this monotonous kind of thing going on. But uh, we forget about what that means and all the, the ripple effect that it sends and where that wave is kind of touching. And so part of the work love experience and really the first chunk that I did in this digital retreat was talking about my own experience. And there was three lessons that materialized out of going back and me looking at these cycles and uh, things that became very evident to me um, that I thought were really great takeaways to just kind of jumpstart the thought process on getting yourself back in, in alignment with work love, which is loving what you do and doing what you love. And last week I kind of, uh, put out there kind of about this idea of this collective we. And this week, if you're part of that collective we and you're still listening, I want to share those lessons with you because part of what I have learned and was the massive takeaway for me from that intimate digital experience, which made me want to create that intimate experience live here in the office and cap it out at 10 and keep it very small, is that I want to have most of the time focused on those people and giving them the maximum amount of time for exploration on their on their professional journeys because that's essentially what it is it's a professional journey exploration to fully understand you know what happened to you in certain circumstances professionally and what that truly means for you so um, so with that being said, long story short, I'm giving the lessons for free this month in March. Um, this was the first chunk of the work, love digital retreat that I facilitated, um, on the first half day of the digital retreat. And I want to share this all with you. And the first lesson is, um, about professional dreams and professional ambitions and identifying exactly really what what you want uh, or what you've always wanted. And, uh, you know, when we're growing up, we are routinely asked, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, my five-year-old's starting to get asked that. Right now, the repetitive answer is teacher. When she was three, she was asked that for the first time. She wanted to be a farmer, and they had this wonderful kind of experience where they got to dress up and take pictures as the profession that they were um, wanting to be or dreaming of being at that time. But at some point, that kind of stops. Those questions stop being asked. Uh, they get fewer and far in between, depending on your upbringing. Sometimes you're asked more frequently, depending on your teachers. Maybe you were asked more frequently if you were uh, privileged enough to have an excellent guidance counselor, or career counselor that was embedded in your school system. Maybe they were asking those questions. Maybe they were creating experiences for you to really explore it. But as we start to move in, into adulthood, and even in the college experience, I can I can pretty much safely say, at least for me, nobody asked me what I wanted to be. It was kind of an assumption that you already knew by the time that you got there. Once you're enrolled, you should know what you want to be when you grow up. And I know that this question is not asked enough because we have people coming in now that are probably getting ready to transition into whatever that last part is of their professional career before they retire. And they're asking themselves, I feel like I just went down a terribly wrong path and I don't know where I went wrong. And now it kind of scares me. It terrifies me to think or consider to transition everything to another 
another avenue, another path. Um, and I don't, and I'm almost paralyzed to, to make that jump and trust myself that I'm going the right direction because I may have trusted myself all this time and now look where I am. And so, you know, when we talk about me, because that's all that I can, and, you know, if there's anyone that I'm an expert on, and I'm still not an, a huge expert on myself, I'm still learning and peeling that onion back and figuring out what the layers are that's in between and what what I've actually really done to myself uh, over the years and what I've hidden and what I've exposed. Uh, and over the last two years, I've really been aggressively kind of peeling back these layers, uh, and it's been challenging and hard. But it's amazing when you go back and challenge yourself to look at things from a different perspective, what you get as a takeaway. So let me just share a little bit about my story uh, so you can see how these cycles kind of come to life. But when I was a little girl, and I can remember these very, I can remember these memories very vividly, um, and there's a flutter of them that come to mind, but I wanted with my entire heart and soul to be a singer, to be a musician. I wrote, uh, I would say I wrote songs. Uh, yes, there were melodies associated with lyrics, but I wrote so many lyrics and I still have them, uh, throughout the years. I have, uh, rewritten them and rewritten them in journals and somehow they have made it to computer formats. And I have an entire folder that's just stacks and stacks of these lyrics or poems. And some of them were published as poems, but at my true heart and soul at the core was this desire to share via song. Now, um, accompanying that strong desire and passion was also an extreme amount of fear of putting myself out there and that vulnerable nature. Um, I had stage fright. I didn't want to sing in front of anybody. And if you have stage fright or are fearful and you haven't you haven't perfected the craft. You haven't been given the opportunity to strengthen that ability to sing, that skill set. You know, you go flat, you go um, sharp, um, the rhythm goes away, and the melody completely changes. And I just remember a handful of circumstances where I did try to put myself out there with the songs, and the songs would change as soon as I would get in front of people because I was so nervous. So that's what I wanted to do, and I've always wanted to do that. Uh, there were other things that you know interest me, like I played school with my stuffed animals. Um, I also played with the idea of being a big, successful businesswoman, and I remember back in the day, I just assumed that that was um, wearing suits every day and driving fancy sports cars. I think that was really morphed by media and movies at the time. Um, uh, my mother was a retail manager, so I was very fascinated by – this idea, she was in a clothing retail store of being able to play with clothes all the time. It just seemed like a lot of fun. There was a lot of things that, you know, interest me and I could find them entertaining. But at the end of the day, routinely what came back is I couldn't wait to find the opportunity to find a place that was safe for me to expose this vulnerable side of me that wanted to embrace music and really welcome it into my life. So uh, as the years went on, um, I slowly kind of let this out there to my parents. Um, 
And the response that I got back was kind of it was kind of a joking matter of, you know, well, can you even sing? I I didn't really do a very good job of flaunting my talent if I had it because I uh, was terrified. I was truly terrified and the idea of judgment of something that was so almost sacred to me was hard. So I sang most of the time, you know, in the shower uh, on my own. Like uh, when I started walking home from school, I did that a lot. Um, uh, I started to work my way into choirs and choruses. So I did musicals, but I was in the background. And um, what's the other one? Oh, church. I love church for the music because I felt like that was the one place that I could sing around people and not really have any judgment, but I do recall a couple times where I would always think, oh, I sang too loud, and now that person's looking at me. But um, that's how I kind of live my life. When I asked about having lessons, my mother told me I had to learn to play the piano uh, before I could have vocal lessons. Um, I wish that somebody could have explained to me the importance of the two going together a little bit better, um, and later on I will tell you why I have that epiphany now. Uh, but I didn't understand it at the time. I wanted to sing. I didn't want to play the piano. And so I I was not very dedicated to the piano. And so therefore, it really pushed back my singing lessons. When I hit high school and we had moved out to Pennsylvania, that's probably the first time that my mother allowed me to take singing lessons and found me a vocal teacher. And it felt really good to be in that setting with somebody um, who was starting to affirm that I could sing, that I wasn't like, that I had some sort of skill set there. Now, I wouldn't say I was Mariah Carey or any kind of fancy pop star or Whitney Houston, but I could sing and I could carry a tune. And it wasn't just all made up in my head because up to that point, kind of felt like that. Um, and so that's when I got a little more involved in singing at church uh, and doing some uh, lead singing there. Still very, very nervous. And I know still going through the lessons and going uh, through church. And then I started auditioning for those musicals that the person that was getting up and singing in those auditions or singing from church still wasn't the person that I know and the voice that I heard when I was all by myself in a space that I truly felt was safe. So uh, fast forward a little bit more till the end of, of high school, College comes around, and here comes the question of what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? What is your major? Um, and I, I could not pick anything except for music. Um, I found after a couple, uh, you know, doing some research, I found these new programs that were coming out that were actually a combination of music and business. And I thought, well, that's kind of safe because I don't know if I really want to be a performer and put myself out there as a musician. But working with those incredible, talented people, that sounds like even closer to getting to that place. And so I uh, started researching those programs. And as that came closer, I realized how much performance was still involved. Uh, if you're going to be a music major of any kind of accord, you have to you have to perform. You have to have an instrument. And of course, I didn't gravitate towards piano, but I uh, I said I was a singer, which meant that for auditions, I had to sing. And those were probably some of the most terrifying experiences 
of my life was doing those auditions and training for those auditions. And one memory I remember very clearly, uh, it was when I went to go audition for the school that I ended up attending for the first couple of years. They had this hallway with these, uh, rows and rows of rehearsal rooms and you got to go in there and there was a piano and you could warm up for your audition. And I remember the young lady who was, touring that day with me and applying for the program. She was in the room next door and she had this beautiful voice, um, almost like a, like an opera singer. And she was this tiny little thing. And when she started warming up, I just had tears in my eyes that these people are so talented. Um, and, and really asking myself why, why I even deserve to be there and have that opportunity or even what am I doing? Um, because I can't, I can't do this. Um, and I, and I somehow got through the audition and they, they let me in. I got into the music program for, it was music with elective studies of business. And, um, I headed in that direction. And for the first time I thought maybe possibly I could have what I've always dreamed about in some capacity and some format that could be me. When you get into the music program, you realize you become surrounded by so much talent. Uh, it's very intimidating. And I remember being very, very intimidated. Um, so much so that I didn't hang out with a lot of the music majors. I spent a lot of time not avoiding them, but finding friends other places because it felt safer for me. I mean, this was something that was so, once again, I mean, the epitome of being vulnerable to me is associating me with my music. And, um, it was it was very hard for me to do that. So the next big pivotal moment that really happened um, to get into this this concept about these cycles is that part of the music program is you have to take uh, intro classes to sight singing, and part of sight singing, the only way that you can be tested is you have to perform. Now, luckily, the performances were not in front of the class; they were done one on one. But the teachers intimidated me. These are uh, musicians that have studied and gotten their doctorates. Um, and once again, I instantly did not like this idea of standing in front of them and being judged. And regardless of whatever I would practice uh, day in and day out um, and how I could do it on my own, when I was in front of somebody, I went sharp or I went uh, flat, or I sang too fast, and the rhythm and the melody were not as they should have been, which is critical when you're sight singing. I made it through a first semester, and I got a C on sight singing one, and I had to get through four semesters of this. And um, the instructor strongly encouraged that she thought that I would get more confidence if I came back and I did it again. So I went back through it and I couldn't pass that time. And the instructor had changed um, for just different reasons and I couldn't get through the class. Uh, I got, I didn't fail. I think I got a D, but that doesn't move you on to the next level. When that happened, I really had to think hard about if I was going to keep trying, because uh, it's a lot of money to keep trying, um, or if I was kind of facing a battle that wasn't going to pan out for me. So 
I chose to go to the registrar office and ask them if I were to transfer my credits into into another program, like where would most of them go? And wow, this is like still really hard to talk about. <laughs> when I went to the registrar's office, uh, they told me that it goes into one or two buckets. Basically, I could become a marketing major or I could become a, a management major. I knew from my business classes that I wasn't really interested in being a marketing major. And so Sam transitioned to management. Um, what that did to my curriculum is that it added a year for graduation. And due to financial reasons, I had to transfer schools and move closer to home to finish my degree. And I was pretty determined on getting this degree because I had started. And if I stopped and didn't get a bachelor's, um, I would basically have wasted that money. And that's truly how I felt about it. It's that I invested so much money in it that I needed to just keep moving forward. So, um, so yeah, so I moved and I switched majors and I remember going to school, uh, with the purposes of passing. And really I was just going after the piece of paper. I just wanted the bachelor's. I could really care less what it said on it. I just wanted to make sure that I had something to show for all of these years and all of this money that, um, my parents had poured into it. Uh, I started working for a, uh, local home improvement store in retail doing, um, customer service kind of stuff. Uh, and then I started to remind, I started to be reminded about how much I loved, um, when my mom was a retail manager and, uh, I loved being at the stores with her. I loved how it felt. Uh, and as I started working in retail again, I was reminded of that and that kind of awoke in me. And so having a management degree, that's what I was pursuing. I thought, well, maybe I, I can be at least a retail manager. Uh, and I started to pursue that at the, at that retail store, I started to express interest in wanting to become a department manager and maybe even an assistant store manager and a store manager, which is just interesting because a lot of these layers in retail are going away right now. Um, if you watch the industries at all. Um, so I started doing that when I, uh, so my life <laughs> working and school, uh, and just taking the required courses. One of my mandated courses that I take was human resource management and, um, no biggie. It was just another class for me. My professor decided to have a, a, a conversation with me and I don't remember how it started. If I approached her because there was something that she said that really resonated with me or, um, if she said something and I wanted to clarify but in that conversation, she made it known to me that I was excelling in that class and that was not the case with everyone. And I told her, quite frankly, that I really assumed that the class was just easy, like um, I wasn't really trying um, and that it was just it was just an easy class. Like it was just one of the easy required classes that we had to go through. And she said, no, in fact, you probably could end up tutoring some of your your peers here because it's not easy. They're not getting it. Um, and that's when I first 
had the seed planted of, would you ever think about a career in human resources? Um, and I started to look at the content and I started to see it come alive. And, and the legal side appealed to me because when I was looking at music business, I was really enticed by the idea of intellectual property in the legal realm. So there was enough overlap that I thought, still management here. And it seems like I have a natural skill set for that. So I'm going to move through um, and go ahead and do that. Uh, And so I transitioned at work. I told them that I still want to be a manager, but I really want to pursue the HR track. And I started doing the HR track and and I continued to do really well. Uh, Things fell into place. My career You know, fast forward going to other employers, it was natural for me. I was really good at it. But the cycles professionally started to happen for me that I just wasn't happy. I would be someplace for two to three years doing really well in my job, but not happy. I felt like something was missing, uh, so much so that I did pursue my master's of education and training and development, thinking that maybe I just had to get away from the employee relational side. Maybe I need to just train people. Um... But I I just could not find the answer. And so this all comes full circle for me at the end of grad school. We had to do a class called Capstone uh, where we basically had to articulate our thoughts on who we're going to be as practitioners and what we're going to put out there. And one of the first steps was creating a collage of who we are as practitioners or who we think is really important. Um, and we went through an entire process of collaging, which is, you know, part of what inspires me when we do Vision Fest and how we do that and how I facilitate that, that program. But when I put the images on there, there were these images that were of rock concerts, of stages, of stadiums that were full. And I realized that this has come full circle. What training actually turned into me as an art form. Um, an, a chance and an opportunity to perform again. I mean, it's not quite the same as music, but on the flip side, I've now started to write these visualization exercises and these meditation exercises and putting those to music and something has just awakened in me again. And that started with Vision Fest this year. Um, and we've really come full circle. But when I was before I got here, the continual question that I kept asking myself is, what do I want? And for a large piece of that, I was going where the doors were opening. Um, and I felt like that was a sign that I was supposed to go through them. And that's not always the case. You're, we're all talented and bright and we can do anything we want to. Um, and when people take the time to acknowledge that, acknowledge that and recognize that, they're going to open doors for you. You still have a choice if you want to go through them or not. I found myself going through so many of those doors that I was so far from the person who wanted to be vulnerable and truly show who they are. Um, and back in the day, that was through music. Uh, because that's the only place that I found career-wise was similar to that. Um, You know, watching from a child's perspective, you know, watching these people put out these emotional tracks, watching how they connect emotionally in this beautiful way, that was something that I was exposed to quite a bit. Um, 
watching MTV, watching VH1, all those kinds of channels that were coming out at that time. That's why that really resonated with me. And, you know, now that I look at my current role, my current job, I look at leadership arts, what are the things that are coming alive? You know, the opportunity to be vulnerable. I mean, clearly I just recorded a podcast where I got teary-eyed in, in the middle of it again, but being able to be vulnerable, being able to artistically express myself, which is in a creative format. I, I'm not talking about paint or coloring. I'm talking about I'm talking about creatively being able to structure these programs or these cycles of reflection. Like work love for me is the equivalent of a concert or performance or an album, something that I've worked on for an entire year that I'm able to put together. And that's how I view it. And that's how it's just, it's so beautiful. And that's how I feel about it. Um, And I really have come full circle, but I would not have if I wasn't able to go back and think, what I truly wanted and where were my professional ambitions for real. And one of the things that I think is, is critical when we're talking about that is having the ability to go back, go back to when we were younger. Um, because I think the resistance is a lot less, you know, we're, we're a lot less likely to say, but we have to make money. So that's not possible. We put all these walls and barriers we build them ourselves because that's just what I guess our survival our survival sides kind of kick in and and that's what we believe is necessary to survive here so um so yeah so this week uh you know the lesson that's huge is you know you know what are your dreams really who who do you want to be when you grow up Um, and so I've created a guided visualization slash meditation for you to really give you an opportunity to go back and find that, um, child, childlike heart and passion. So that might be when you were a child, it could have been later on in life, but when you felt that fire and that spark and that connection, Going back to that and really being able to use that to get very clear about what you want and what you need to be satisfied. Uh, And that's what I was able to find, taking the pieces of, you know, I still think it would be cool to, to sing in front of a bunch of people. And I think that dream will always be there and will always sit there. But what did I really need from that experience to make me feel satisfied professionally. And a lot of those things are actually coming to life here at Leadership Arts. And I think that's why I'm so happy. And I think there was a lot of places in my careers where I tried to make those things come to life and I couldn't, uh, which is why I ended up in those, in those places. So that's my lesson for this week. Next week, I will have another one to share with you. So going through my life slash professional journey and when I hit roadblocks and when I hit dead ends and having to think about it. And I may have not done it at that time, but even thinking about it now, what have been my takeaways? So next week I will share with you a lesson number two. If any of this is really resonating with you, I strongly encourage you to join us on March 30th here at the office if you're local to York, Pennsylvania. For a total of $75, you can engage in this work love experience. And it is amazing. It is beautiful. Um, 
it's beautiful for me every time that I go through it with everybody else. Um, but watching others go through it digitally was amazing. And I can't wait to have people in the space and intimately go through that with all of you. It will be um, a full day, 10 to 5, that will be here at the office. We'll feed you. We'll take care of your parking so you don't have to worry about that. It truly is a day for you to disconnect and just get lost in yourself and have this crazy adventure and find out find out about you, learn about you, get so clear about it and be able to leave and the next day enter the workplace with a newfound clarity, a sense of connection, um, and a renewed kind of spark and passion for what you love to do. So if, uh, if this resonated with you, or if you know of somebody who this resonate with, I would be so privileged and honored if you would share it using any of the social media channels and put it out there uh, for the world to hear. Also, one of the best ways to get us out there on iTunes is via reviews. So if you could go through and leave us a quick review, I would greatly appreciate that as well. And last but not least, I always love to hear from you. I mean, the reason why I routinely put myself out there and uh, let the raw vulnerability kind of show is because of the feedback that I get from all of you. And we use something called a TFWN and Q form that you can find below on this page. Um, it allows you to share any thoughts, feelings, wants, or needs, or questions as a result of listening to this podcast. Uh, so fill that out and feel free to share that with me. I love to hear those. Or even if you just want to send me an email, love to get those too. Um, they really, they make a huge difference in my day. Um, I don't think that the people who send them know that enough, uh, how much they shift my day um, and how much they really drive me to continue to show up and do these podcasts and put them out there. Um, I think that's it, right? Yeah. All the information for Work Love is also found in the show notes. So if you're on our website or you can go to worklove.leadershiparts.org. And other than that, have a great week and I will talk to you next week. Oh, the meditation and visualization exercise is available in the show notes as well. So please, please take a time, take some time to do that. That is my challenge for you this week. Um, it's under, I think I put it under as a balance challenge because, uh, it is meditation. So it should, even if, if this doesn't serve you in the fully complete ideally way that I would like it to, at least it's like a cool little meditation that you can just take some time and chill out to and enjoy. So yeah, I'll talk to you next week. Bye.